You're listening to the Tooth Sleuth Podcast. Hosted by Greg Essenmacher. Welcome to the Tooth Sleuth Podcast, all about the business of dentistry. I'm Greg Essenmacher, your host. Although I'm not a dentist, I've been known to play one over your favorite listening devices. On today's episode, I'm excited to welcome Dr. Dan German. 30 years ago, Dr. Dan started an orthodontic practice that became one of the largest privately held practices in the country. He served as a professor of orthodontics at the Ohio State University College of Dentistry, or should we say the Ohio State University, for those who know where he trained postdoctoral residents and was an attending clinical doctor. In 2016, Dr. Dan used his passion for transforming the delivery of dental care to found OrthoBrain. Dr. Dan is well known throughout the dental world for educating professionals on how to correct the entire spectrum of malocclusions, all while rendering exceptional service. He is devoted to solving dental problems using new and better solutions and help develop systems for an easy and precise way to place braces without any lab work. Dr. German is an orthodontic pioneer in the fields of interceptive orthodontics, aligner therapy, digital braces placement, and 3D imaging. His techniques have been taught around the world. In 2014, he received what he considers the crown jewel of his career, the Distinguished Alumni Award from the University of Louisville Orthodontic Department. This is only the second time the award has been bestowed. But he's most proud of his role as a dad and grandpa, raising seven children with his wife, Terry. So please, help me welcome Dr. Dan. Thank you so much for being on the program. I love when people talk about their greatest achievement and what he's most proud of when it talks about family. So start there. Tell me about that. So where have you raised your family and your seven children? Was it in one spot or have you moved around a little bit? Well, Greg, it's terrific to be here. I really appreciate the opportunity and uh, grateful to learn from your podcast. Uh, I started my professional career as a clinician in Dayton, Ohio, and that's where I raised the kids until 2016. So Dayton started in 1987. And you might wonder, why would I have said that I've been raising the kids until 2016 is it makes it sound like I'm still raising them. And I am because I still have two children at home. After all these years, I like to, I'd like to have a t-shirt that says proudly making children over three decades, the eighties, the nineties, and the two thousand. So I have a 16 and 17 year old that are still at home. Um, the kids were basically raised in Dayton, Ohio. I sold the practice, as you mentioned, to move up to Cleveland, the North Coast of America, the rock and roll capital of the world, in order to build our new company, OrthoBrain, and also keep the family together. The two oldest kids, Greg, decided to grow roots in Cleveland. And I don't mind working really hard. I don't mind working a lot of hours, but I want to be around my children. So I basically moved to my kids. And so now I have four grandchildren, and five out of the seven kids are in town, and we're together on a very regular basis. So you so followed I'm the grandkids. Let's just, let's just call it what it is. You followed where the grandkids were. Is this true? Tell our listening audience. They like a lot of truth. <laughs> yeah, the truth is 
I follow my wife. Oh, uh, yeah, <laughs> no, they, wife, that's true, right? I'm going to get in a lot of trouble. I'm telling you, I can I can feel my social media blowing up right now with comments talking about that, that I just I just made the faux pas. So thank you for that correction. I appreciate that so much. <laughs> what you did, you're a great setup man, Greg, because it just gave me the opportunity to shout out my wife, Terry, who, without... Terry, there is no way we could have successfully raised these seven kids. There's no way we could have built that mega practice or this new company, OrthoBrain. She is a voice of reason. And in order to do all this, it's it's a Herculean effort. And my skill set is really narrow. <laughs> so I depend on her quite a bit. Well, and for those of us, uh, the regular listeners here who listen to my podcast, and I know before we started recording, we talked a little bit about you know your exposure to my podcast. It The support structure, not only for professionals, but personally that help us to be successful and also that specialization that you just talked about, right? So the the focus and the specialization. So whether it is clinically or professionally for in the manufacturing sector or for those that do marketing and being able to specialize really helps individuals to excel in what they do, right? Jack of all trades, master of none, right? That phrase becomes more and more true as we try to become experts in our field and really to be able to build a team of support around us. So uh, fantastic. So Tell our listeners, educate me a little bit more. I did a little bit of my homework, but educate our listeners a little bit. So what is the concept behind OrthoBrain? What is OrthoBrain? So OrthoBrain is a group of extremely talented people that are core believers in the purpose, the why of OrthoBrain. Here's a problem. This problem is gigantic, Greg. You may be astounded to know that if you have a screwed up looking smile, you don't have the same opportunity that I have. People rate their peers as being less intelligent, less likely to succeed, and even less trustworthy when their smile doesn't look good. This isn't an opinion. This is this is a medical fact. It's been researched and proven over the years. This was not the case when I first went into practice. We didn't know that. We thought orthodontics was elective. We found out over the past 10 years that orthodontics is requisite in order for you to have every opportunity in order to advance and reach your your maximum potential. So with that in mind, I realized that the orthodontic profession is only touching a small fraction of those who need to be treated. There are between 500 million and a billion people on the planet in need of orthodontics that that are sitting out there untreated. And you might wonder, why aren't they being treated? And the answer is pretty simple. There are problems with access and affordability. The problem with getting orthodontic care is the same problem with all of us that need, God forbid you should need rheumatology, endocrinology, you name the ology, all the medical specialties are guarded guilds. It's not fair because you can't get into those specialties unless you are at the very top of your class and or your family name is on one of the buildings at the orthodontic residency. And you know who it's not fair to? It's not fair to the patients. And that's number one, because they don't have the access and they don't have the opportunity. And it's not fair to the general practitioners who go through dental school and they learn how to do everything except for the procedures that are going to help them pay their student loans back. So they're taught to refer wisdom teeth. They're taught to refer orthodontics. And orthodontics is so well suited to learn in dental school that it I honestly believe 
as a, as a lifelong educator, that it's shameful that we don't provide the education in dental school so dentists can get out and do this properly. So the purpose of OrthoBrain is to provide access and affordability for patients around the globe and give dentists the opportunity to help their patients realize their opportunity and confidence in life. And also not to be lost, this is the business of dentistry, the wallet share is uh, much more appropriate. And I say it's a wallet share because OrthoBrain is the brain behind the scenes that allows the dentist to be able to deliver the care at a very high level. And the, the, the secret sauce is in the technology platform that connects the dental practice with OrthoBrain. Well, I, I love to hear this because if we're talking about access, right, to, to the masses or at least a larger group of people, whether you're talking about the medical industry or the dental industry, the more access there is. And I have to say, I'm going to challenge you here, right? Because I can, I can hear, the, hear, hear the chatter. So for a specialist like yourself, an orthodontic yes. specialist like yourself to say that more of this should happen in a GP's practice, right? I can hear the rumblings from, from your specialty in general, right? But, but there is something to be said about in a very mindful responsible way. I think when you look at all of the fields um, that have specialists uh, in general, when it is done in a responsible, mindful way, that access to can certainly be opened up when there is the, the proper uh, education. And and I'll let you answer that. I, I don't want to be proselytizing, right? So Walk me through that piece, because I'm, I'm sure that that's something that, I mean, you personally, right? You, if you've listened to some of my podcasts, you know that, you know, vulnerability uh, is, is a big piece of what I talk about. And, you know, it's the business of dentistry, but it's also the personal side of the business of dentistry, right? Asking people to say, open up a little bit, share with the audience. How have you come to be able to understand that you've you've had a very successful career, right? Because I'm sure you've been asked by others in your in your field, right? About the talking about GPs doing orthodontic treatment. Talk to our audience a little bit about that. Yeah, it's a great question. And with white hair came a sense of responsibility to do the right thing. I just don't feel that you're ever wrong when you do the right thing. And the right thing is to allow people to have access to care. And when, when you come out and you say, hey, orthodontists, globally, we treated a fraction of 1% of the population last year when 70% of the population would benefit from it. Talk to me about that orthodontist. 65% of the counties don't even have an orthodontist. Mm. There's, okay. That's th staggering. That's yeah. That's the wealthiest country in the world. That's the United States. When you go to other countries, there are a paucity of orthodontists. We made our own trouble. I am a mainstream orthodontist. I publish in the journals. I like to speak at the conferences. You can look at me. I look like a, just the mainstream um, out of the book, 1970s or 80s orthodontist. Okay, and I got to interrupt you there, and I'll let you get back to your thought If because I can see him. So we have video so we can see each other for better interaction. He looks like Bill Nye, the science guy. I'm just going to go ahead and say it. Okay, please go ahead. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Thank you. That's a compliment. Um, He's a good-looking guy. <laughs> uh, yeah. So um, 
what I did when I came out with this, because I knew it was the right thing to do, it was the wrong thing to do financially for me and for my career because I had a well-oiled machine. I had an orchestra of efficiency, predictability, and profitability in my orthodontic practice. Mm. Well-oiled machine. It took me years to do that. It was honestly, it, it just it, I committed my life and so did my wife to making it that. Now, I walked away from that. And all of the uh, compensation that I had with it, an easy life in order to build a, you know, call it a technology company and put all our savings at risk in order to do that because it's the right thing to do. So I called the president of the American Association of Orthodontics, which is the grand of worldwide orthodontics. And I called him and what a wonderful guy. Gary Inman was the president at the time. I drove to meet him and we spent about an hour and a half together. And after an hour, he got it. And he said, you know what? You're doing the right thing. And I said, Gary, I want you to go to the Orthodontic Association. I want them to invest in OrthoBrain and I want them to endorse OrthoBrain because I want orthodontists to be requisite when a dentist is doing orthodontics. Why not have an overread by an orthodontist? It's very inexpensive, right? You know, even orthopedic surgeons who know how to read all the x-rays, they still have an overread by the radiologist. It's just, it becomes a, a standard of care. And I said, for for as little as it costs it'll, it, to hire us, it's the most profitable procedure a dentist should do in their practice. And and he went to the board of trustees. He said I, he didn't think they would approve it, and they didn't. But nevertheless, I just face it head on. And I'd love to continue speaking with the Orthodontic Association. My daughter is a dentist. She married an orthodontist. You know, we're, we're all about orthodontics and we want to support the profession. But OrthoBrain is in support of the orthodontist. The sea change is to get rid of the orthodontist. And if you go to Wall Street, they try to get rid of the dentist, that they are direct consu- to consumer products and and mail order orthodontics basically and I, I just didn't feel like that was the right way to go the doctor i believe should be involved now i want to give you a distinction greg because the 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 idea behind orthobrain is that we do not create orthodontists in other words i cannot teach a general dentist to be an orthodontist i can teach them how to deliver orthodontics they're not the same thing Gotcha. So I had a practice. My staff delivered the orthodontics. I was the brain behind it. Now we're the brains behind the dentist delivering the orthodontics as if they were our staff. They don't have to have all the knowledge. They just have to be able to exchange the information with us. And the outcomes are, are terrific. And it's been proven that it works. It's been researched. Yeah, I, I love that. And so one of the things that comes to mind for, for me as, you know, an outsider not knowing intimately, you know, about orthodontics, obviously, as much as you do with your experience is that talk to me a little bit about and the listening audience a little bit about how technology has evolved to allow this type of opportunity for the general dentist to be able to deliver orthodontics, as you talk about, not to make them orthodontists, but to deliver orthodontics with this uh, oversight so 
this, you know, and I'll go back to the, you know, being responsible way of being able to open up for access and affordability to a greater reach of audience for what you've been sharing with us today, because it's fascinating. I'd have to assume, well, I kind of know a little bit. I've been in in the dental field for about 16 years now, you know, knowing the evolution of technology. So share a little bit about what you've seen, you know, specifically in the last decade or two, or more recently, just what you've seen evolve in technology and how that's enabled you to be able to have this vision and really to take a very bold step uh, because of the passion that you have and the vision that you've had? Yeah, it's a great question. And when I started practice, you may be shocked to know that there weren't computers. So the first thing I did is I wrote software in 1985 and 86 to run a dental practice and an orthodontic practice. So I had some sense for technology. They didn't have IBMs in the early 80s. So 1981, it was on an Atari. So we've always had the technology, the bleeding edge. We were the testers, whether it was with the current iTero, which was originally built by Kdent, um, using the the very first machines, um, digital uh, imaging. We've always brought that in. And the digital revolution allowed OrthoBrain to be born. Without the digital revolution, it wasn't going to work. So I would go out. And I would give a seminar anywhere in the world, and then orthodontists would mail me photographs, x-rays, and models of teeth and say, what do I do with this? (laughs) And so I'd I'd call them, and I'd write them a letter. This is before email, too, so they literally were mailing it through the United States Postal Service, weren't they? Yeah. Yes, United States Post x-rays rolled up and folded up, panoramic pictures folded up, and 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 then all of a sudden, um, I... uh, I became really passionate about aligner therapy and I was doing a lot of aligner therapy. And what happened was there's a very famous, um, there was a very famous practitioner that took care of a lot of movie stars. And that orthodontist was like you said, very responsible and recognized that they didn't have the experience. And so I was behind the scenes, the orthodontist taking care of the stars would send me the x-rays and photos, but it was all digital. And so I was behind the scenes doing all the work on these famous people. I'm culturally illiterate, so it didn't matter because I didn't know who they were. And all of a sudden, (laughs) that was orthobrain. I was doing orthobrain before I realized that there was a room for an orthobrain. I have always taught general dentists. I have always taught general dentists. In my hometown of Dayton, I would host courses on how to do orthodontics for the local dentists. And when I teach with with orthodontists, one of the things I almost always will say is, if you're at a cocktail party, somebody comes up to you and says, oh, I heard you're a dentist. If I hear you say, no, I'm an orthodontist, you get a, you get a flick. I mean, <laughs> you cannot do that. It is so condescending and arrogant, and it is right out of the orthodontist playbook. Stop it. We're all dentists. We're colleagues. We help each other. We work together. We collaborate. That's how patients get the best care. Orthobrain is about getting great care to the to to the to, to patients and helping the dentist become the quarterback of their care. Primary care should be the quarterback of all health care. Period. Proven in the New England Journal of Medicine that patient outcomes are better when the primary care is involved and is the quarterback. 
So it isn't just my opinion. There's evidence to that, Greg. Well, and it's so important, too, to have that concept, because if not, then the patient's left trying to coordinate all of their care. And let's just call it what it is. A layperson trying to, whether it's in dental or in medical or you name it, a, a layperson just does not have the, 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 the bandwidth or, you know, the baseline of knowledge to be able to coordinate all of that and to have, you know, a, a general practitioner be able to coordinate all of the care is so critically important. You know, I'm most familiar, many of my listeners know that implant dentistry is the core field that I know most about. And and same, you know, same concept in implant dentistry to have, you know, oral surgeons and periodontists collaborating with the general dentist when they're placing implants for the for the easier cases and you know collaborating right. on the more complex cases that this concept is not foreign and those that understand and have evolved into this way of thinking uh, and concepts and mindset really has uh, helped the industry to move forward uh, and there's still some who don't believe in that and that's okay everybody doesn't have to agree but it is that same concept about you know the team concept and somebody being the quarterback I call it the hub and spoke model. You know, somebody's got to be the center of the wheel and then the care fans out from there uh, and really determines what the next best solution. It it, it sounds to me, and I'm going to transition, but you brought up something that I think is just so core and critical. And you talked about just that on the local level, education on the local level from very early on that you would do uh, with dentists in your local area in Dayton. And and I just want to talk about that just for a moment because there is such a great need for that still because, you know, all politics is local, all education is local. Well, you know, you have a national platform and you speak at the, the national conventions and probably internationally as well as many do, but still that need for local rubbing elbows with the guy who's practicing across the street or down the road from where you are. It, you know, you see the, their families in the grocery store or at the gas station, and there's something about that community feel, you know, where it does take a village and learning about that. Talk to me a little bit about the sense of the industry and what you see um, as far as education and the future of education in that sense and how it fits in with what you're talking about. Yeah, there's a, the question about education is really a big one. That's at least an hour podcast. <laughs> well, maybe it's another an episode. <laughs> right. If you think about it, uh, and this is this is extemporizing because nobody's asked me this before. I think of it as bifurcated. You have education that teaches somebody how to be almost like a trade person. This is how you make an impression, put a, a braces on, change a wire, a how-to. That is like a trade person, right? When the doctors really ought to be professionals and have a broader understanding of what they're doing. So in contradistinction to much of the education out there for orthodontics that is being developed for dentists, I want the dentist to know how to look at a face and diagnose from the face to the crooked teeth. Start on the outside. There's a person attached to those teeth. This is what we're looking for in the face before we look at the teeth. And, and this is the biology of the gums and the bones, and all those things are really important. It, it, it's a professional has a deeper knowledge of what they're doing than somebody who is a trade person is doing it. So those that's one aspect. The other thing that I wanted to address is that 
there is a change in the way education is being delivered, and there should be, because technology has revolutionized that. We have not seized the technology. We haven't kept up with it in order to be able to facilitate education at a much higher level. I believe that we're making incremental improvements. It was a silver lining of a horrible pandemic, but we did learn how to educate people remote. We sent them instrument trays with with models and braces and aligners on them and taught people how to do that remote. We're not as good at that as we are in person. And we should be better at it. We should be able to find a way to leverage the technology in order to make the education even better than it was when it was solely in per- in, in person. Um, there's uh, the, the culture and the nature of the students is really what's going to drive the way they're educated, right? They have to be thirsty. They have to want the knowledge in order for us to be able to deliver it. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I love that uh, d- distinction between the two pieces of education, uh, for sure. And I know from my days of working for, you know, major manufacturer, the number one implant company in the world, that when we would put on education programs, it was really the responsiveness from the field, the industry itself, that we would know whether to continue on with certain types of programs that we would offer, whether or not that they were successful. Perfect. Right, well, this, this is the part of the program. You may be familiar if you did listen to one of my podcasts, and I don't change the questions for anyone, so it's, what the sleuth is going on? So three rapid-fire questions for you. So first thing that pops into your head, all right? Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. Question number one, what's the worst bad breath experience you've ever encountered? On the receiving or delivering end? (laughs) I'll leave it up to you. I won't clarify. (laughs) Um, Okay. I'm going to be really vulnerable. uh, Sadly, people can't see what I look like because it might not fit with the appearance. Once upon a time, a long time ago, uh, celebrated a little bit harder than I probably should have with, uh, with my old partner, Steve Burke. And the two of us had some adult beverages and we were acting awfully goofy. I don't know if you can you can't see on the podcast, but I do wear a little black hat on my head as a as a as a more traditional Jew. Mm -hmm. And so I'm very restricted as to what I'll eat. And my wife, to punish me, took me through the drive through at Taco Bell, which is (laughs) limited for me. And and I ate this thing and I had had some beverages and then my routine because I, I, I am very close with family. Uh, it's it's not a lie. It's really true. I never go to bed without kissing my children goodnight. And I never leave the house in the morning without kissing them goodbye 100% of the time. So, of course, I went up to their rooms. I jumped on their beds a little bit and I kissed them goodnight. And they couldn't even breathe. They said it smelled so bad. The combination of Taco Bell <laughs> and Bud Light didn't. It was it was it was toxic from what I hear. They still talk about it to this day. So there's my vulnerable moment right there. <laughs> I love it. You're the first guest who's actually talked about their own bad breath. Thank you so much for that. My, my I could I can literally hear the laughter of my listening audience. Thank you for that. Okay. Question number two. If you could change one thing about your smile, what would it be? Then I can see your smile, I, so I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah, as you've probably seen, I do smile a lot. Yes. The problem is that unless I have a smile, my entire face is going south and it looks like I'm frowning and I'm never frowning. 
So I think that the that I need to figure out how to have a little baby smile instead of the big smile all the time. It's either yes or no. And when it's not on, it looks like I'm frowning. But oh, that's okay. just that's just that's just because, you know, I'm about 128 now, I think. F- fair enough. And for the listening audience, he does smile a lot, even when we we spoke for the first time uh, fairly recently. So and, and I, it's making me smile more. So it's probably coming through in my voice. OK, question number three. If you could go back and be the inventor of any dental product, which one would it be and why? The the thing that I always wanted to invent that I never did, and I have invented some things, you know, I've had some patents and and product in the market. From the very beginning, I wanted to develop paint to paint the teeth white. You know, Sherwin-Williams is headquartered in Cleveland, Ohio, and they're painting walls. Isn't it more important to have white teeth than white walls? (laughs) And I haven't really lost that. I haven't spent any time on it. What you see, Greg, is... As you mature, you're still young. As you mature, your teeth get darker and your hair gets whiter. Yeah, it's, it's exactly backwards. Appreciate you saying that I'm young. I'm 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 aging quickly, but thank you. <laughs> no, I I love that. That's that. So that would be a, definitely a new product. Well, you know, for the conversation that we had before, there was a couple of things that really stood out, and I enjoyed that. And I'm enjoying this. In the last few minutes, I I want to share and ask you one last question to to wrap things up. So, uh, you you made a comment that I was a fellow idealist, and and I love that. Right? You know, it's the always the optimist and hopeful for what the future could potentially hold. And you'd shared a phrase and and I captured it and I I just want to share it with the listening audience and ask you for comment on it. And it was that the GP is the hero in dentistry. And you've shared a a lot on what uh, a sense of what that is with, you know, helping to increase access and affordability for care for, for more in the last few minutes, share with the listening audience. What do you think, peek around the corner a little bit, what could be revolutionary or the next evolution that could help most in dentistry for access for patients? Wow, I think that's a, a, it's a really brilliant question. And I believe that in the United States, modernizing the rules around delegation and who can do what Dentistry has been very slow to embrace delegation so that we can be more efficient, more effective, and more affordable. I'll give you an example. God forbid you should ever have to go and see the cardiac or neurosurgeon. If you see them coming at you to try and start an IV, you know you're in trouble, Mm. right? Because there's somebody who's expert at the IVs. They delegate that. They delegate in our practices I learned to delegate, which is why I was able to have such a big practice. And my staff could do certain procedures better than I could because they do them all day long. In dentistry, we're so restricted about what we could do and what we could delegate. If medicine operated that way, the lines would be much longer than they are right now. So we we can modernize the education of people that are not at the doctor level and, and learn to delegate procedures to them that they can do with expertise. I love that. And that, I didn't mean to put you on the spot, but that's fantastic. And and I love having guests like yourself on who can share from their expertise level and their perspective. And, and it's been 
such a pleasure having you on. And so for our listening audience that want to learn more about yourself or OrthoBrain, how can they learn more about uh, what you do? Because I think it's absolutely fantastic. Well, we do have a website, orthobrain.com. If you want to reach out, I'm going to give you my personal email. I'm going to do that because you know one of the most personal things about me, my bad breath story, and (laughs) hardly anybody knows that story, so we're all pretty close now. It's dan at orthobrain.com. And that, that's the best way to reach me. And, and if you let me know what it is that you're looking for, I'll, I'll put you in touch with our, with our experts on the OrthoBrain team. That's fantastic. Thank you so much, Dr. And it has been a true pleasure. I appreciate it. And I wish you all the success in the world. Thank you so much. I'm really grateful for the opportunity. And I'm really grateful that you are bringing out the business and dentistry because that was an oxymoron in the mid 80s. <laughs> the two didn't go together. So thank you for that. Thank you for listening to the Tooth Sleuth Podcast. If you're a dentist and interested in learning more on how to grow your business, reach out to our show at toothsleuth2021 at gmail.com or find us on Facebook, Instagram, or hanging out on your nearest street corner where there seems to be a dental practice everywhere you look. Signing off for now, I'm Greg Essenmacher. I thank you for your time and the pleasure of your company. And remember to keep smiling. This podcast was produced by T Door Productions. Theme song written by The Whole Other.